0: Karen Walker and Dr. Supriya McKenna are the authors of Divorcing a Narcissist, The Lure, the Loss and the Law, and Narcissism and Family Law, a Practitioner's Guide. And they host a podcast, Narcissists in Divorce, The Lure, the Loss and the Law, for family lawyers and the general public. What percentage, just sort of like a ballpark figure, what percentage of uh, UK divorce lawyers are actually able to recognise narcissism in a client?
1: Percentages are really difficult, David, because it is generalising hugely. So I think what I'm going to say is in terms of percentages to how many can recognise it, I think that those who've got a more detailed level of qualification are best placed to do so. And that's probably about 20 to 25% um, of divorce lawyers in the country as as a real general guide. That's not actually that many. compared... I
0: mean, that's like sort of between sort of seventy-five to eighty percent who uh, haven't. So, um, most lawyers don't understand, or rather, for, to those that don't really understand narcissism, any quick tips that you can give to help them to recognise they might be dealing with a narcissist.
1: Well, the quick tips to recognise someone who suffers from this, really go hand in glove with what Supriya has always already identified as the types of individual who suffer from this. Um, And it's just about translating that um, into the way in which one's client treats you as a lawyer. So the client who's already instructed three or four other lawyers always have alarm bells when they turn up. The client who's so pleased to have finally found you as their salvation. You are going to be the best lawyer and you are top of your profession. They will flatter you. They're love bombing you. Just sure. You? Yeah. Those get the hand in glove. Um, so you will be the most wonderful lawyer in the world. The, the three, four, five others that they've instructed historically have all been a disaster. They didn't understand and they didn't know what they were doing. But here you are um, and you're going to be great. They'll be quite rude to your support staff because they don't react very well to people who, who they see as being um, not really worthy of. Uh, beneath parents. them. Exactly. So yeah. they'll be rude to your PA um, or they'll be rude to your receptionist and they will have an air of entitlement about them. So sure. the person they want to speak to is on the phone we'll we'll get him or her off the phone because here I am and I need to talk to them now and I'm not going away Um, so if they're in a meeting get them out of it Um, all that kind of approach those are things to have real alarm bells for they'll push your boundaries so they'll expect you to have a phone call with them after hours or well you know I'm not going to be available until six o'clock tonight it might be half six you can ring me then can't you or I've got a very important call in Australia at, at eight in the morning. um, So I need to speak to you before that. They're really going to push those boundaries. Um, And of course, they will have flattered you so much. And as lawyers, we're susceptible to all of those impulses that Cypriya was talking about that hook you in, that feel good factor. We all like to be flattered. We all like to, be, to think that we're quite good at what we do. And so somebody who is heaping praise at you, it makes you think, oh, OK, obviously, I'm, I'm very highly regarded or I've been recommended um, and um, spoken well about. So, yeah, I'm going to do my, my best to do well for this client who thinks I'm fantastic. And you can see how it starts. Yeah, so in, sure. Very early stages of the instruction, you you ought to be able to start to think, "Mm, hang on, this doesn't feel quite right. Um, The dynamics are all wrong. I'm starting to feel drawn into something with this client. I'm having to behave in a particular way um, and I'm being expected to do things which actually I'm not feeling very in control of. And the client is starting to set the agenda for this instruction. And I'm following along with it, as soon as you start to feel like that, you need to have alarm bells. Those are the best ways initially to recognise. I should say also, it's not at all unusual for a narcissistic client to tell you in your first meeting that their spouse is narcissistic. Right. There's there's a a great deal of effect giving the qualities that they possess themselves to the other person. And so if if they start telling you in detail that with assurance their spouse is narcissistic, again, be a bit wary of that because you'll you'll find that people who really are the victims of narcissistic abuse sometimes don't see that. And they know they're in a dreadful relationship. They know that they feel very undermined and belittled, lacking in confidence, but they don't know why. Um, So they will very rarely tell you categorically because they're unlikely to have the confidence to do so, that they've been suffering from narcissistic abuse. So be wary of that too. Um, And it's important to spot all of these things right at the outset.
0: Right. Okay. well, Karen, thank you. Now, uh, Supriya, if I can uh, turn back to you. Can I just say one thing in relation to to, to
2: what Karen said earlier? Yes. Um, in regards to how she said that uh, a narcissist might turn up to the their lawyer's office and actually tell the lawyer that it's their spouse that's the narcissist. Um, and that's called projection where you put your own characteristics onto someone else. But what we're trying to do actually is educate people about narcissistic personality disorder so that they are able to tell their lawyer if they think their spouse is a narcissist. So hopefully over time, more and more people will be going in to see their divorce lawyer and correctly identifying their spouse is a narcissist. The way to tell the difference, the way to know whether the spouse is a narcissist or whether or whether the person that's coming in is a narcissist, is what Karen mentioned earlier—that desire to annihilate. So the real narcissist is the one that wants to annihilate their spouse. They're the ones that show no empathy whatsoever uh, towards their spouse. And they kind of want to take everything. They want all the money, the house, the children, all the cars. They want to take everything because they've got that sense of entitlement. So just understanding who the real narcissist is in, in that
0: dynamic is, is quite important. That's great. Thank you. Now, um, Supriya, uh, is it possible, may, may sound like a silly question, but can you actually get a narcissist diagnosed? Well,
2: the short answer um, is that in the UK, um, in the context of divorce and in the context of a kind of, you know, relationship breakdown, the short answer is actually probably not. Um, So generally speaking, a narcissist would need to agree to getting a diagnosis. And it's unlikely that they would agree, because if you think about it, their narcissism actually benefits them. So it allows them to exploit and manipulate others for their own gain, whether they realise they're doing that or not. So to them, there's actually nothing to fix. So why would they get diagnosed? So that's one problem. And also... Um, Many narcissists are just going to find it too hard to just take that honest look within. So there's another reason to not get diagnosed, to not have to face the truth about themselves. Uh, And of course, not wanting to face what they think the truth is about themselves is is actually largely what narcissism is. It's what lies at the heart of the problem. So again, another reason to not want to get diagnosed. And then we've got another question of what's the point of being diagnosed? Because if MPD doesn't really get treated in this country, which it doesn't, um, what's the point of getting diagnosed? So even if they did want to change, which they usually don't, you'd need to find a a super specialised psychotherapist. Um, Treatment would be expensive, very unlikely um, that you'd be able to find this on the NHS. Uh, Treatment would last for years um, and the dropout rate would be enormous. So you can see why even psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors actually don't get specialised training in narcissistic personality disorder, because there's actually little point if the narcissist doesn't even want treatment. And actually, the lack of training means that it's not properly understood by professionals such as these, which of course then feeds into the problem of why it goes unrecognised in the first place. So in summary, with that question, I think it's possible to get them diagnosed, but in reality, it's relatively rare.
0: Right. Now, that leads me on to another question. Um, Obviously, the narcissistic person will have a lawyer representing them.
1: Why can't their own lawyer stop them from behaving badly in the divorce? People who are narcissistic, take Donald Trump as a very clear example, don't do as they are told or as they are advised. Mm. They do what they want. And it's very, very difficult to stop somebody behaving in a particular way. And it's why I talked about Dealing with these kind of situations as being a bit of a game of chess. Um, If you're acting for the narcissistic client, you want to do a good job for them too. And to some extent, you want to try to save them from themselves. And of course, if the lawyer on the other other side similarly understands what everybody's dealing with, then the lawyers to some extent can work together um, to try and find an outcome which is going to be satisfactory and not an annihilation of everybody's financial resources. Because legal fees are only paid out of one pot, the family resources. It's just coming out of what Mr. and Mrs. Jones have to divide between them. Sure. We talked earlier about the narcissistic desire to litigate and find themselves in the court arena. Well, it's not difficult to spend £100,000 or more um, if you are litigating between a couple. Um, It's very, very easy to do that. Um, You take that out of most people's financial circumstances. And it either means that they're buying much um, less adequate properties. It's school fees for a significant period of time. It's just dead money. Um, And what the lawyer who's representing the narcissist needs to try to do is put a lid on that expenditure, recognize their client's desire to an iron egg, recognize their desire to take center stage, recognize that desire to win and be able to construct that for them without squandering the family resources to a ridiculous level. And and that's really the skill when you're acting for the narcissist. So it's just as important to understand what you're doing when you're representing the narcissistic client. Um, and also, of course, there's an element of protecting yourself because mm. you're going to be subjected to their abuse as well, because that cycle that Sabria identified earlier on, this this love bombing or idealizing stage um, followed by devaluing and then discard is exactly what the narcissistic client will do to their own lawyer. So as soon as something happens that they don't like, they will be devaluing you. They'll be questioning your fees. They will be not wanting to pay you and they'll be criticizing what you've done. Um, And so you'll quickly go from that recommended, wonderful, best lawyer ever position to um, poor advice. Why are we doing this? I'm not happy. And of course, then you move into fees not being paid um, and complaints being made. And you're you're caught in the the same abusive cycle. Really important to guard against that. When you don't understand what you're dealing with, that's when um, you become a tool of narcissistic abuse because your client is just using you as an extension of themselves. They'll be telling you what to write um there's another way of, of identifying whether um your client is narcissistic is when they start drafting letters for you and i would always say to someone in those in those circumstances look you know there's no point paying me to do what you're doing yourself um you know i'm, I'm not going to put what you want to write just on my notepaper yeah. um so either do this together with advice or you might as well just do it yourself and so if you don't understand it you're going to become really the inflictor um, on behalf of your client of this annihilation desire on the other person and on the other lawyer. And actually you become um, part of the tools and facility for the narcissist to really ramp up the adverse behavior and the toxic environment within the divorce process. and you, You just become, if you like, an appendage to that. Right. I see. Okay. Now, um, Supriya, finally for you,
0: um, what advice would you give to someone who is uh, separating or who wants to separate from a narcissist? Because as we've obviously discussed over the um, period of this interview, not the easiest thing in the world to do.
2: No, absolutely not. I think... Number one is don't tell the narcissist that you think they're a narcissist um, because that will backfire on you and you will get that whole projection thing where they'll say, no, you're the narcissist and then you'll be really confused and then they'll tell everyone else that you're the narcissist and it can just never end well. So don't tell the narcissist that you think you think they're a narcissist. Um, secondly, don't expect couples therapy to work. If the underlying problem is narcissism, it's just a non-starter. And um, where Karen was talking earlier about mediation and how the mediator gets drawn into this triangle and and used against you, that's exactly what will happen in couples therapy. So the narcissist will basically run rings around you and the couples therapist. So um, not a good idea at all really important to realise that the narcissist is going to try to get you back if you're the one that leaves. And they, they try to love bomb you again. They'll guilt trip you. They'll even threaten you to come back. Don't fall for it. Um, it actually takes around seven attempts to leave an abusive relationship, on average, uh, because people do fall for these tactics. So just be aware of that and stay strong. I'd also say cut off all contact if you can, uh, and if you can't, perhaps if you share children with a narcissist, then limit that communication to email only. And don't expect to be able to have a rational conversation with a narcissist if they've been left, um, because you know their communication style is going to be it's going to be ranting accusatory, illogical, quite frightening um, at times and there are specific ways to deal with that which we, we discuss in the books. And I think finally educate yourself about narcissism uh, so that you can understand what, what lies behind the behaviours that you're being subjected to because ultimately uh, that's the thing that's going to help you to, to cope better with those behaviours.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you, Supriya. Now, um, same from, from a legal perspective, what advice would you give to someone who is separating from a narcissist?
1: Well, the most, the most important thing at the outset is to find a lawyer that understands NPD well. And as I said earlier, probably about 20 to 25% do. Sure. Um, someone that's referred to you, as long as it's by somebody who has been through a very similar situation to yourself. Otherwise, don't be afraid to... Um, look at people's websites, ring round and make inquiries because it's so important to get the right person working with you. This is such an important moment in your life. Sure. And, um- understand that classic mediation is unlikely to work. Hybrid mediation probably does. So um, understand that distinction. And again, there's quite a lot of information out there. Um, the resolution website, which is an umbrella organisation for family lawyers, has a lot of information about processes. worth having a look at the public pages of that. Make sure that your divorce lawyer knows not to respond to all of the accusations made by the narcissist in, in um, correspondence. So you want to be sure that you don't, don't get drawn into this tit for tat approach which will become needlessly expensive and entirely irrelevant it's not focused on the the um particular issues it's not a good idea to to refer to narcissistic personality disorder within the court context um has already said about not telling somebody who is narcissistic that they are because sure. it's not to help um and it's it's not It's an expression which can be over bandied about actually in my area of work. And it's very important that you only refer to it in the right context. So, So don't refer to labels. I think labels are a bad thing in any event. Okay. Adjust your expectation to what a reasonable outcome might look like. I said earlier about allowing the narcissist to win and that winning as the spouse of the narcissist isn't the same as getting the best financial outcome. It's back to that game of chess and positioning yourself um, so that the outcome is achievable in a cost effective way and you can live with it and you get your life back at a much earlier stage. And all of those are important factors to take into account. You're going to need to prepare yourself for post-divorce issues, especially if you have children. So, And also if you're financially um, linked to the narcissist moving forward via maintenance or child maintenance or whatever that might be. Um, so be sure that you're prepared to deal with those continued points. I think the underlying most important point is to allow the narcissist to feel like they've won. That's the best way to get a satisfactory outcome whereby moving forwards, you can work better co parenting your children because they'll be sort of a bit crowy and feeling that they did well. And if you right. understand that and you know that actually. You were the one who did well because you allowed that to happen. It's really important. I think also to get help from a divorce coach or therapist who really understands narcissistic personality disorder, because what you don't want to be doing is wasting your funds, paying hourly rates to a lawyer for the wrong kind of work, they're there to help you through the legal side. But undoubtedly, you need some um, additional assistance to that. I suppose I already mentioned that couples counselling doesn't work at all. Um, And actually, counselling can be more damaging than beneficial if it's with the wrong person. So again, it's about finding someone who really understands what you're dealing with and can support you through the legal process. And to some extent, work with your lawyer and maybe provide the gaps in their information with what this situation is all about so that the client feels that they got a team who are working together. Um, again, that's really important. It's about bolstering their self-esteem to get them through this.
0: That's wonderful. Well, Karen and Supriya, both of you, thank you so much for joining us and hopefully we'll have the pleasure of your company in further shows.